Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet. Trevor Maxwell here today with you and fresh off his retirement ceremony where he looked super handsome is my, my partner in podcasting. Mike Riggs, yep. It was a great weekend. Had a great retirement. Had a whole bunch of family in town. Had a whole bunch of friends show up. I couldn't have asked for anything better. It just went, it went super smooth. And yeah, I couldn't have scripted any better. It was awesome. Thanks for everybody uh, and messages that were sent out and everything on Facebook. I don't think I've gotten to all my texts yet that people sent me over the weekend. I will get there. I promise you I'm not an ungrateful person and I'm working on my uh, thank you letters that my wife is prodding me uh, vigorously on getting done. So thanks everybody. Really appreciate the support. Yeah. And a quick thank you to everybody who sent me a video for the little, the little retirement gift that I made for Mike. Um, Speaking of which, the other retirement gift, have you cracked that open yet? Not yet. I'm waiting on you. The oh, funny okay. thing that the the music that you chose was Lee Greenwood, and I remember them playing that in boot camp. So it's funny that was like the, the closing. Uh, so my my entire career is bookended by Lee Greenwood. That song is that old. Yeah, yeah, they oh. played it. I remember them playing it in 1991. Like, oh my gosh, as we were finishing up boot camp, they played it, and everybody's in there crying, and I'm like, we're all, what are we all crying for? I mean, <laughs> this is crazy. But, you know okay. how people get in boot camp. Yeah, guys get emotional because they fail an inspection and I didn't fold my clothes right. I'm never going to make it. (laughs) They said they were going to kill us. I'm pretty sure they mean it this time. I think they were going to kill us. No, they're not. I'm I'm learning all kinds of stuff. Keep going. (laughs) So, (laughs) no, it's just, you know, you get a lot of young people who skinny, thick, thick, skinny. It's not that hard. Eat it. Um, you have all these these young kids that come out and you know they've never been away from home and they get thrown into this now i mean that's the whole point of what boot camp is it's to shock your system and break you down to build you back up i had i was kind of already prepared for that before i had left uh i had i mean i left you know i dropped out of high school after my sophomore year and went to this military academy that was like six months of army boot camp in school. They call it the Mountaineer Challenge Academy. And there's tons of, pro- there's one here in Virginia Beach uh, over at Camp Pendleton. They take all these 16 to 18 year old kids that are, you know, not doing good in high school. They drop out, they go there, they get their good enough diploma. And then they do career skills training and all that stuff. And, you know, to I pretty much credit that program with kind of turning me around and, you know, it got me excited about joining the military and uh, I don't know that I would be here today without it. So, but speaking of great programs that can help you in the next chapter of your life, we have a guest that we're excited to have talk to today. And it's uh, she's from an organization that I'm very fond of and I've volunteered at for the last few years. And you've heard me talk about them countless times because they provide a, a, in my opinion, a premium product. Um, so we have Janie Live Say. Did I say that right? Is it Live Say? 
Okay. Yes. From the Honor Foundation. And woo-woo. And uh, <laughs> so, Janie, please introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about what you do. So I like to say that I am a recovered stuffy executive, and now I'm having quite a bit of fun um, helping uh, active duty special forces guys and gals that are looking at transition. So we run a three-month program. Um, we concentrate on kind of reconnecting with self um, and then kind of packing your toolkit with all the things that the civilian world's looking for. And then in third phase, we kind of go practice. Um, it's the field trip part, which Mike, you didn't get fully because of COVID environment. Um, but you got the, you got the COVID um, version of online remote treks, but they're pretty cool. THF Redux. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she packages it up and makes it sound, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, it's an intense program. Um, I think it's one, if it's one of those programs, you're going to get out of it, what you put into it, just like anything else as you transition and being THF alum, uh, you're going to have to look in the mirror and see some things you may not like or may not think were there. So it really forces you to, it's, it's a process, you know, it's a, you know, it's practically three and a half, four month process where you're building upon these building blocks that people a lot smarter than, than me have created in this process to really help you out on the back end. And it, I mean, it's an outstanding program and it really put me in the right place and I'm, I'm so much better for having done it. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. And, we, and again, he's right. Yeah. And so before we get too far into this, uh, I was talk, talking about, actually, before Mike hopped on here, Janie and I had a, probably about a 10-minute conversation about some things. And I was really surprised that you didn't know the, you, that you've never heard this term. So, Mike, you know what bitch bladder is, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we're, Janie and I were talking about coffee. She's like, oh, I can't drink coffee. And I was like, well... I was talking about a trip where we had to drive out to land warfare in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And it was my last one out there. So we had, we had our own van. Uh, Cause I guess whatever, they couldn't get an aircraft. And so we're there, the whole seal troops there. And, and one of the LPOs, he's like, Hey, who here has bitch bladder? And I was like, I don't care. I'll, I'll raise my hand. I have. And they're like, all right, everybody who has bitch bladder is riding in his van. And, <laughs> And she was like, well, you were the last ones there. Right? I was like, well, while I stop every couple hours, probably because I drink, you know, seven or eight coffees along the way. Um, I'm also driving 90 miles an hour <laughs> in, in between those two. But yeah, she had never heard bitch bladder before. Nope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have heard so many things um, since working with your community. Um, and that's just one more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's to the glossary and a nice addition to the glossary yeah. <laughs> you so you learn something new every day even I at do. your age you're still learning right i'm like trevor is that a military term <laughs> <laughs> look it up urban dictionary <laughs> yep 
absolutely. I am always learning new terms, but that one I have not stumbled across yet. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great one. We'll have to start thinking about some other ones too <laughs> and go through there. So yeah, well, we'll have, to, have to find some more to weave in here. Yeah. So I was going to ask if you could just kind of talk about like your background and how you became affiliated with the, with the Honor Foundation. Mm, I kind of have a, a winding background. So I, I started my career as a, a licensed clinical social worker um, and did Which that. Is quite appropriate for a bunch of us special operations guys. We can definitely use that. I have did a time or two. Um, Helps you understand. <laughs> it's come in handy. Let's just yeah. um, I got lured into back when software development was cutting edge. I'm telling how old I am. Um, I kind of got lured into that because it was kind of cool and shiny and cutting edge. Um, and so I did requirements gathering and kind of like the business and systems analyst stuff um, for a while. And doing that um, back in that time, working remotely was kind of a, you know, I think with COVID, people now are like, wait, you have a job where you go into the office? Whereas, you know, back then it was like, wait, you work from home? How does that work? So it allowed me to kind of, you know, be with my kids and work and do that whole thing. So I did that for quite a while and then um, fell into government contracting, um, had kind of learned that, the proposal writing, the bid process, the winning, all that stuff, and then the implementing, of course, and then wanted to try my hand at a commercial cadence. So I found a company, um, a woman-owned small business that did both government contracting and commercial. So I could kind of learn that new thing. Long story short, was doing some work over um, at Damneck and just kind of fell in love with the community. Now I grew up here. So, you know, the Navy has been absolutely a part of my history, but that was the first time where I really was working with the community. And so, you know, if you can kind of think about like maybe teaching to your community versus like, um, like a large um, commercial company uh, where we have this emerging leaders program and they would like to be taught the same way that they like to be marketed to. And so you have all of this, you know, if it's not sleek and sexy, they're not engaged. And then come over to your community where there's not a cell phone in sight. You better know what you're talking about but they're there to absorb, right? So it was kind of like, oh my gosh, I really enjoy this community. And that was about the time that the Honor Foundation um, was started here in Virginia Beach. Um, it had been going on in San Diego. So I started volunteering as a coach like you, Trevor. And so I did that for I don't know, a couple of years and um, they asked me to come on to run the Virginia Beach campus in 2018. And so... Yeah, I use all that stuff to my point. I use all of that stuff every day. Right. That's good. And, you know, I was thinking when you were talking about that and I was like, yeah, the bullshit detectors are always on high uh, when you talk. But here's the thing. If you come in there and you know what you're talking about and you know how to explain it properly, um, those those people will be some of the best students you've ever had in your life because it's you know, they're, they're performing at a level that's, uh, you know, for what they're doing is, is unmatched by anybody else in the world. So um, 
which brings me to kind of like, you know, the intent of what the Honor Foundation is, is there for, right? You guys take these high performing individuals. So special operations like operators and support personnel, because I mean, Mike worked with one, uh, Chris Blake, that dude is, yeah, man, that is a sharp guy, right? Very. Just like some very impressive people. And that's the thing is everybody thinks, oh, you're a SEAL or you're not. And like, no, they, they, like some of those guys that go into those supporting roles are absolute rock stars. And they, they all have that, that high performance, just kind of mindset. And I think what you guys kind of do is like, say, Hey, here's how you go from here to here, right? Here's how the stuff that you're doing now will relate and make you successful in the outside world. Yeah, it never ceases to amaze me um, how, and I guess it's a mindset thing, right? And it's kind of, they're, I'm generalizing a little bit, but there's, there's at such a loss of how do my specialized skills translate? And so to spend that time, um, it's twofold, to spend that time to get it to a translated language, there's that. But then to Mike's point is, kind of reconnecting with yourself and doing that hard work and figuring out, well, what makes me tick because of me and not the military? And what are my values and what makes me happy? Um, That takes some really hard work. And it's not, I mean, I always say you guys are wicked smart. So you could Google how to do a resume. You could Google how to make a LinkedIn profile, but I think it's the, the people that walk through with our fellows. Um, we have executive coaches that are from all walks of life. Um, we have business folks, uh, both in the community and afar that want to help. And so just pulling all of that together, I think is kind of what makes us different and what helps to your point, get these men and women from here to there. Um, if that makes sense. Well, you bring up a great point, And I think, we've talked about it often and I know I have on the podcast, but the, one of the think most crucial things under the umbrella of the honor foundation is what you're talking about earlier is the network and not only the network of the coaches and the instructors that come in to teach us and the folks that will just drop by and listen to a class, you know, for a few hours in the evening while we're in there doing some of our things through the process, the 50 cups of coffee is probably one of the biggest things that I had to wrap my head around. And I think it's one of the biggest hurdles we have, especially folks like me, that's a 30 year institutionalized person, or, you know, some of these senior senior folks that are used to just walking into a conference room and you're wearing a uniform with a, you know, a badge, you know, a crab or a trident or a S, you know, special forces tab. And you're, you have automatic clout. Everybody knows who you are. Yeah. It's easy. You know, it's so easy for us to do that because it's, it's written on our uniforms. Well, when you put the sport coat on and, and you walk into, uh, you know, some of the, some of the, you know, the networking events that we have, or, you know, even over, over zoom or you're meeting somebody out for a cup of coffee. I mean, that's a whole different 
ball game and it's a whole different strategy and you, it, but it's so powerful because once you learn to wrap your head around it and, and you leverage that resource and the folks that are a part of the honor foundation, I, I, you know, I think networking is, I, I always put it conservatively at 90% of getting your next position. It's likely a heck of a lot more than that. Uh, but I, I think that's one of the greatest things about the honor foundation is for one, you know, you all put in your, your boot in my rear end to make me go out and actually do that. Cause that puts me completely out of my comfort zone. And then two, the other thing is being the alumni and, and still having the pulse of all that huge network of alumni and coaches and everything. That's, I mean, we're what you guys are what, well over a thousand now alumni. And I, you know, it seems like, I don't have to go too far down somebody's page on LinkedIn. That's, you know, maybe, maybe it's not the first connection, maybe it's the second, but tied in somewhere with the honor foundation, you know, and it's, it's just such a phenomenal network. So, you know, I think like to what Mike's saying, the forcing people to kind of get out of their comfort zone, that's, that's probably for me that I've seen through coaching one of the biggest obstacles that a lot of those those folks have because in the you know the special operations community you guys work with most of the time like people that get there and have face-to-face uh time with them while they're still active duty those are people who have been vetted and and said yes this person provide so you know it's a very deliberate process to get somebody to come in and and have that face-to-face time with that and so they've never had to do that to themselves They've never, so somebody always does it for them, right? When they go out and they talk to somebody, it's probably somebody that's been prearranged. This person is already established as like a, an expert on whatever. And there's, there's a very clear intent of like why they're talking to each other in the first place. Those guys can't, you know, they don't, they're just not used to going out and hitting somebody up on LinkedIn and saying, Hey, can we grab some coffee? I would love to learn a little bit about, you know, what you do. And, you know, so I'm, you know, whenever I'm coaching, I talk them through that. I'm like, if, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's a good thing, right? Get out there and do it. If you're standing there, like, you know, like Ricky Bobby, like, I don't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's, that's awesome. Right. Get over it. It's, you know, you'll, you'll, it'll happen quick too. It's interesting that you say that. And this was kind of back to Mike's point about networking and being in the sport coat, not being able to read, you know, the uniform anymore. Um, I even see that in the cohort because, you know, you've got senior leaders in there with um, maybe some junior folks and it takes them back sometimes that we're all on a level playing field again for this next chapter. And that is such um, a mindset shift, sometimes humbling, um, sometimes stumbling that they have to kind of figure out. And also too, um, you know, like who they might be interviewing with, like some of our senior leaders might be interviewing with a young man or young woman. And that feels really strange after all those years. Um, so, but we, to your point, Trevor, walking through, we walk through all of that. Like you were saying, we walk through how to how to best do that. Um, and we love to share the times that we succeed and the times that we flub it up. That's one of my favorite things. Like when we do the, the first, the initial class and, and Matt goes through the class rules and he says, Hey, you have to use first names here. 
right? Yeah. It's funny you have an E an O6 sitting next to an E5, and you know, it's it is. It's kind of like, oh wow, this is a little weird. So, but yeah. I mean, that's the that's the kind of stuff that it gets gets you ready, right? And hopefully, I'm looking forward to when we can uh, do the in person again too, so I can go get free pizza and beer. Yes. And- <laughs> We were just talking about that today. They were like, who, who, who do you use for catering? And so I said it, I said, but we also have pizza and beer nights too. Papa John. That's no, there's been some good. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's, I think I've seen it too. It's a culture shock for some of them. And, and I've talked to a few of them and you just see that they're very uneasy. Like, and that's, you know, especially for the career guys. Um, very you gotta do it yes um so we (laughs) this is a little bit um this is why i joke about being um a recovered stuffy um executive because i've learned i'm still learning honestly but that juggle of creating a safe space um or a comfortable environment where you know we can we can still do that banter and um sometimes totally politically incorrect or inappropriate stuff and, you know, kind of help. Like Fox. (laughs) (laughs) One name names. Um, Or 39. Yep. Mike Fox. I made the mistake. Love that guy though. (laughs) Absolutely. I said one night, I said, Hey, hot Mike. And he's like, Oh, thank you very much. And I'm like, it's not what I meant. I meant hot microphone. So yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, all of those kinds of things. But just creating that space where, you know, you you have those coping mechanisms that you've um developed over the years to do the hard things that you do. And then just kind of, you know, like, you know, while I'm laughing, say, okay, but you know you can't say that or or that wouldn't go over very well um in the workforce kind of thing. So that's part of it too that I think is really important is um, is to walk that juggle. And I think one of the things too, whether you're the four year, the 10, 20, 30 year career person is coming to grips with your ignorance on the next step. And cause you spend years and years and, you know, Trevor and I's case, like two decades becoming very good at what you do. Cause if you're not, we probably wouldn't be here. And nor yeah. would most of the other folks that are in <laughs> exactly. And I've got all my fingers too. Still, yes. So. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you spend all that time getting so confident at what you do, and even sometimes if we didn't know what we were doing, we'd still have to be confident. So people at least think we were doing the right thing. Just kidding. We knew what we were doing every time. I promise you. Yeah. Uh, no. But anyway, you know, it, it's it and it, putting the ego aside, realizing your ignorance. And then realizing there's all these people out here that are more than willing to help you through this whole thing. And that's, that's another thing of peeling off the uniform that is uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially some of us senior folks like me, they're like, no, no, I got this. I don't need to talk to somebody. I'll just find a book and I'll read it. You know, that's a complete waste of time because especially if you're in a a program such as the caliber of the honor foundation, just go with the process realize you're a complete fool about this whole thing and then 
be that better person on the end. Can I add that to orientation? Please do. Mike Wood says, just go ahead and be a fool and get uncomfortable. I like well, the, I, I've always liked the, uh, I know that I know not. Oh, right. I like that. Yeah. Just put that on a little banner in, in the front of the class. I know that, or you could maybe make it more friendly to what they're used to and be like, shut up. You don't know shit. <laughs> right. So, so, <laughs> I, I can make that come out. I'm not yeah. comfortable yet. I'll say it for you. I'll, I'll just walk okay. up there. I'll, you know, wear pants and everything and be like, Hey guys, I'm here to tell you right now. <laughs> but, well, we could have Josh King make a video. That oh, yeah. play the intro, you know, of little top that would come across, I think. Perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys have a, an awesome staff there. You have tons of people that want to help. So Brage has been on here. We've had tons of people that are associated with the honor foundation. Brage, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, not just at the Honor Foundation, Herb Thompson. Um, you know, he's been in there. We've got some other, we got Jeff. Uh, Jeff kind of, I think he was kind of responsible for helping develop a lot of the curriculum, right? Because um, yeah. Dennis, I, I love like whenever they do the panels, having Dennis in there when he tells his story about when he realized it was time for him to get out of the military. So. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh well, no, I was just going to ask if maybe we could kind of dive into a little bit about like what it, what exactly it is that you guys do. Talk about like the different phases and and how you guys help walk people through that journey. I love to talk about the Honor Foundation, so just cut me off. But um, you know, part of it um, is undoing what the military is so good at right and that's making you such an awesome team player that self is last and so for the honor foundation we're trying to reconnect you to fulfillment what does fulfillment mean for you as an individual and sometimes i think we get a, a bad rap that we're only corporate focused and that is so not true um, i think a person can come into our program um, and flip the lens on whatever we're talking about um, and apply it to entrepreneurship, to non-traditional jobs or corporate settings, um, and it doesn't matter. But that whole first phase is really diving into doing a lot of introspection, um, some journaling, and just reconnecting. Um, one of the books, if you talk about habits and changing habits, and if you kind of relate that um, from going to subject matter expert in what you've been doing to something new. Um, if you look at habits, the book um, by James Clear, Atomic Habits, is the only book I've ever read that brings in the identity piece and how it relates to habits. And so we kind of really focus on that identity part and we also kind of use Simon Sinek's golden circle because we do agree with him that when the why, the how, and the what are in alignment, that's when you have the best opportunity to find fulfillment. So that's kind of where we spend our time that first phase. And that's kind of like relooking what's your why, what's your how, what are your strengths, what's translatable, um, and your what, what do you like to do? And we use several assessments and different ways to get at that and dig into it. But what I find is that um, 
when fellows even begrudgingly drag their feet into it, if they will do the work in that phase, it just builds the foundation for everything else that comes after that. And it makes it so much easier um, as new opportunities are coming in, as you're talking to people to really stay grounded in what it is that you've just spent all that time talking or, or really articulating what is going to make you happy in that next chapter. Um, and I think that's hard. Well, you know, talking, most of the people that I talk to, or Mike and I have talked to one here, they all say the same thing when, when it came time to make that decision to transition, they said, Hey, I knew who, you know, senior chief Maxwell or Meister, master chief Riggs was, but you know, it was like, well, I don't know who Trevor is. Right. I don't know who Mike is. I don't know who, you know, whoever else they said, I didn't really know who I was personally. And I think that's the crucial first step. And I think you guys definitely put that up front and center where it belongs. When you see so many people too, especially during my cohort, when we were doing uh, the Gallup strengths and you would hear somebody in the background or, ah, yeah, that's not, that's not a strength. I can't believe this, this can't be true. And then, you know, by the time I think it's Chris Love and and then you know Jeff Pottinger follows up with his wife, you know, program, people are like, oh wow, okay, now I'm kind of discovering a lot about me that I didn't know. And then you start seeing folks that, you know, break off in these certain orbits. Like here, this guy is uh you, you know uh, went to the naval academy and then he was you know a seal officer and he's going to go do real estate somewhere and you know this part of america and you're like okay and you see the next person spin and they go shooting off in this other sector and you know it's all that path of discovery and figuring out really what's next you know what what really makes you wake up in the morning and really want to go and get after it because I think everybody deserves that, you know, and I think, you know, something like this should be done. That should be at least a three credit hour course in probably every undergrad institution in the United States to figure out. And I think people would be a hell of a lot more happy and more satisfied with where they're working um, because you just wouldn't get into the perpetual grind and thinking, well, I guess this is just the way it is. And this is the way it is after the military. So, and then, you know, folks end up just finally getting sick of it. I think it's what a year is about the average of folks that that get out of the military on their first uh, post-military career path. And then they're trying to figure out, well, this isn't what I wanted to do. Well, if I can go and do this awesome course and figure it out up front and somebody's going to help guide me to that, that direction and show me the path and show me the folks that have already blazed that path. And then I can go and talk to them. And there's also the flip side of it. Like, you know, John McCaskill talked to us. He thought he wanted to go to that path. And then when he finally went and talked to the folks down that path, he's like, Nope, not for me, buddy. I'm going to go this way. So that's the, you know, it's, it's, that's the great thing about it. And, and I think uh, people, you know, time is everything. And, if you don't waste your time a year or two years, or sometimes I feel like, you know, my father spent 35 years at General Electric and it was a grind for him until he retired. And he was just so glad to be done with it when he crossed the finish line at 55 to retire, which I'm 49. I can't imagine retiring in six years because I'd probably go nuts and my, my wife would kick me out of the house or at least I'd have to sleep outside in the garage. But 
you know, it, it's, if you can do that and be, you know, happy and fulfilled on the next step, you know, right off the bat, that's, that's, I mean, it's, that's a dream come true, I think. Yeah, I, I do see so many people um, set on something. And I think that's why I love when we get to third phase. um, And normally when we're out and about, because when we're going to these companies, and you really start, I think because we cram like, I don't know, 12, 15 companies in three days, culture almost becomes tangible. And you learn to, first of all, you learn what resonates and what doesn't. And there's so many, I love the bus rides in between the company visits. um, Cause I'm just listening and it's like, I thought their mission statement was awesome. I thought I'd love to work there and their culture sucks or, you know, vice versa. And then just the aha moments of putting all that together. And then the trick, you know, is to what city do you need or want to live in? What companies are there? And how do you get that peek past the curtain um, to really look at them in a different way to utilize the skill set that you're now thinking about you want to use and make all that come together? Because, you know, like if I say, I'm thinking about some of the places that we've been. If I said Home Depot to you, what do you think of? I think of putting on an orange apron and mixing paint. I was just right. going to say, I think of orange. <laughs> you think orange, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, went to, um, we went to visit their headquarters in Atlanta, and that's kind of what I think about. And I was thinking, hmm. So we got there, and they have this whole philanthropic arm that partners with Habitat for Humanity that does all this work that has so many veterans in that side of the house. Um, and really resonated. They are doing some incredible things. And they have this um, R&D organizational development piece that they already sell leadership development back to the Navy, I understand, that I knew nothing about. And so you, you start visiting these companies where you have this vision or, or this understanding of what you think they do. And so then it's, okay, Home Depot has all the stuff I didn't know about. What, what are the other companies have that I don't know about? And you just kind of start looking at them in a very different way. And sometimes those bus rides even are like, you know, like 99% of the guys are like, I'm not working there. And then you've got one that goes, oh, I'm going there. They need fixing and I can do it. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, I've, this has been my own observation talking to people who, have said, like, if you go to the right company, right, if you're the right fit, you can actually, there's the opportunity there for you to really affect change. And I think a lot of people look at that because, you know, we, we've all seen it, especially those of us who have stayed in longer, like the guys that, oh, I don't like this. I want to go in there and fix it. And they go in and they just, you know, basically amplify the, <laughs> the, the negative con or whatever. But, okay, so we were talking about, you know, finding out who you are, right, the focusing on you, understanding your why and your what and your how. And then, like, I guess I can kind of speak to this a little better because I've, I've done this several times through the, the cohort. I think this is probably the next big important part of that is how well do you communicate all that stuff that you've discovered about yourself to other people? You just said something though that um, 
that I wanted to hit because you said about going into companies and making a change or, or finding the right fit, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times when people are interviewing for jobs, it's, it's more about like this competitive mindset of to win, I've got to get that job versus really looking at, do I fit? Do they fit me? You know, do I really want this? It's, it's not a, it's not a check in the box that I get offered a job. It's, is this a good fit? And that's a huge mindset shift for a lot of people. Um, you know, they say, well, what if they don't understand what I do or what my skills are? Well, maybe it's not a good fit. Or what if my values don't match their values? Well, maybe it's not a good fit. And so you don't have to conquer or win every interview. You need to kind of be looking at that. So I know that was off topic, but you pointed it out and I didn't want to leave it. Yeah. I'd like to add a little bit more to what you said with with the interview process, because when we had to do our, our five mock interviews, I remember I was nervous as hell because that's obviously a perishable skill. And before I actually have to go do a real interview, hopefully here in a month or so, I'll be coming back to you all for a little bit more mentorship. But I remember that night or the, it was a few days before we had like our roster of of who, what corporations or organizations we were going to be interviewing with. And I remember my first one was with Smithfield foods. And so where Trevor and I live out here in Suffolk, this the subdivision is basically it's it's smithfield executives and yeah and i know my daughter's friend's dad is a vice president there so i reached out to them and hey do you know this guy oh yeah he's a great guy you know had a few talking points to kind of smooth it over this guy and i was going to try to hit this one out of the park the first one is you know just knock it out and then that guy didn't show up and I got switched to Verizon. <laughs> wah, and, I, wah, wah. and I saw that like last minute, you know, I'm like, what, what in the hell are y'all doing to me here? Um, I don't want to sell cell phones. You know, I, I, I'm not going to upgrade you to 128 gigabytes of memory and, you know, and, and try to sell you the, the Apple, whatever we're up to now. Um, I'm like, what a curveball! I thought this is going to be such a waste of time. And I went in with this preconceived notion to this interview in the back of my mind that, uh, you know, I, okay, I went from knocking us out of the park to I just have to survive and get through this one. But the the interviewer and I, within a minute or two of discussion, he was in the Army. He had been in the Army band. He, he basically did a lot of his time on Little Creek. So we started connecting in that and then he started talking to me about what he does for Verizon and it's not selling uh, cell phone upgrades and, you know, uh, year long unlimited data plans and all that kind of BS. He, he was in a lot of their corporate loss and, you know, loss prevention with regards to accounts and illegal sale of cell phones and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, man, I never even knew that existed in a corporation. I would, you know, in reflection, a company that large would obviously have to have somebody like that to try to cut, you know, some of the things down and and be vigilant on on those practices, illegal practices. But 
I thought, man, you got a really cool job. So we started talking more about that. And then by the end, you know, we're connected on LinkedIn. He has my resume for later on. And, you know, it was such a, uh, you know, 180 degree change of what I thought it was going to be and to what it really ended up being. So it was a great experience. I have never heard that story, Mike. I didn't. Yeah. That sometimes is a crazy night, but you just summed it all up. It's, it's about that connection. Right. And I think that's a thread throughout our program um, is making that connection. We do it with our storytelling from phase one. Um, and you, how do you make a connection if you are not connected to yourself? Right. So if we do that hard work up front and kind of reconnect with ourselves, then we can connect with others. But yeah, I think that puts you grounded and authentic when you're going into those types of situations that you really know what you're talking about because you're really talking about yourself and what you really have done the backside homework on to be able to convey that forward. And I think that's that's a critical part of it. I think that so I guess that kind of does tie into the storytelling or See, now I'm not screwing my name up. I'm screwing up all my other words. The the storytelling piece, right? And, you know, so I wanted to come back to circle back to that too, because I think that's super important skill for people to learn. Yeah. Um, it, when I first um, started, you know, full-time, maybe even as a coach, um, I wasn't sure where that storytelling piece fit. Um, but now, you know, there's so many studies and, and reasons um, for getting storytelling right. And we see it in, again, connecting with yourself. And then you can see it all the way from, tell me about yourself, your personal pitch, sales, training, um, connecting with people, just being able to do that, podcasting, whatever it is that you want to do it. But it really, you know, I never, that night, that story night, after we do that storytelling class, um, and then we have story night. I never, Mike, you know this, I never say, tell me a story that's either going to make me laugh or cry, right? It, it is whatever the fellow wants it to be. But there's so much muscle memory gain that night to then pivot and go into those other things that are more business oriented. Um, and then if we can keep that up, then that's, yeah, that's skills. I, I still have to work on that. That's not a natural there are natural storytellers and then there are not. Well, you know, it's funny. You can tell, like, I, I, I'm a firm believer and I've, you, you know, been through sales training and all that stuff and see, and, you know, there's one common theme there, like authentic is, you know, I, I think when you can be authentic and, and tell a story that relays a good point, um, people, I, it's, I can spot somebody who's, who's trying to bullshit me. <laughs> It's, it's, it's pretty blatantly obvious. I mean, that's, um, and so I think that's part of it too, but it's also, you know, become being able to communicate authenticity. That's a learned skill. It's not, some people may be born with it, but it's also uh, something that you develop and, and get better at as, as time goes along. And like Mike was talking about the, the five interviews, that's a great practice start, right? The, the guy I'm coaching right now, you know, was talking about, you know, there's other people who are really worried about these practice interviews. And I'm like, well, that's the whole point. They're practice interviews, right? Mike and I know this. We 
get killed in training all the time. Like when you go through a fourth story at the training unit, you, you quote unquote die in training all of the time because mm-hmm. we make the training so much harder than it is in real life because we take all that stuff and, and all the lessons learned from all the combat, you know, things that have actually happened. And we include that into our training scenarios and we make it as difficult as possible so that, cause I, you know, I had that, you know, one of the big things we train for is uh mind strike IED strike, right? What happens if somebody steps on an IED? What happens if a vehicle gets, gets hit by an IED? We run those scenarios so many times that when it actually happened to me in real life, I, my whole brain was like, Oh, okay. This is just like a drill at the training unit. Right. That's, I felt like I was in a drill. There just wasn't any instructors around to tell me where I screwed up or not. Um, you know, so it's, it's, um, and and all those mistakes that you made along the way are just etched in your mind. Cause every time that buzzer would go off or every time, you know, you would just get, completely torn apart on a drill uh debrief that sits with you i still remember all the drills i've died on i still i can recall where they were at what it was what happened what mistake i made and that sits with you but i think you know trevor's point go in there and screw up (laughs) screw up now screw up now when it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter the fact that you're learning from it you know fail and fail forward but, you know, the, the fact that you're not actually, you know, it doesn't, this isn't riding on, you know, your next career, screw up as much as you can and learn from it. Maybe we should add a buzzer though, Mike. We think. Yeah. Like, just like a little, yeah. have somebody back there. Yeah. You say something and they go. Get a gong. Yeah. We yeah. gong them or something. Oh, like yeah. You can get three judges and they, what was that show? America's Got Talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good buzzer though. I was thinking about, eh, don't say that. Eh. <laughs> yeah. Well, in our cohort, it'd be constantly a Fox you trying to drown Fox out. So yeah. Yeah. Or Dan. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. He, he talked Which, about punching somebody and some other altercations were like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm up with some different examples for you. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard some, some really great stories in there. It's funny. So Mike and I were sitting in on this uh, Insoft, one of the other organizations that we both like yeah. and, and volunteer with. Um, we were they they do these pathways to purpose webinars, and they had some. The last one they did, they were talking about the Honor Foundation. They had uh, Chris Merwin on there, who was mine and Mike's old skipper at Mobian at twelve. <laughs> He was talking to everybody that was in there about the Honor Foundation. He's like, "Can you have story night?" and um, you know, there's some good stories in there. And then there's some that probably wouldn't be appropriate for a professional uh, setting, but the, at least you're getting out there and, and telling those stories, right. You're, you're getting the practice runs in. So, well, um, you know, when, when they get past that, obviously it's, it's time to kind of move into the second phase, right. You figured out who you are, you learn a little bit about how to communicate that. So then what's next? So to Mike's point um, that he made earlier, while you were still chewing on all of that stuff, um, we kind of pivot hard and then we're, we're going into resume class and LinkedIn class and compensation. What is it? How do you negotiate it? How do you research companies? How do you do a personal pitch? How do you network? Um, 
And then by that point, I think we're, we're revisiting, you know, how, how do these cups of coffee things work and just peeling back those layers. By that point, it's a little iterative. You know, you're, you're kind of still working on some phase one stuff as you go into phase two and you're, you're doing a whole lot of revising um, constantly. The program is trying to get you to have something that's well translated and maybe not targeted to anything. Um, so that's, you know, we're just, that's why we use strengths because that's a language that everybody can understand, um, translates everywhere. And then um, when at the end of the cohort, I know that we're talking about second phase, but at the end of the cohort or, or whenever they get to the part where they're targeting towards something, that's a little bit different. Um, but during that second phase, we're just filling that toolkit with all the stuff and building yeah. that network. And even when you, especially like the resume, I remember the resume being pretty eye-opening because I thought, eh, mine's okay. And I think I've taken almost all the military stuff out of there. Nope, not even close, buddy. Rework it, rework it, rework it. And, you know, that's that's another thing. You, you grind through it to really get it right, to make it translatable or, you know, making yourself marketable to you know the corporate world or wherever wherever your next step may be but that's and then i think we talked about it earlier but going from the mindset of we to i and and, and just putting trying to put that in there and that's another difficult mental hurdle to get over that you know trevor and i were on that you know i'm putting stuff in there when trevor and i were on a team and and you know and i know some of the stuff was trevor did it and and I have to sit there and say, oh, yeah, I did that, too. And it's just it makes you feel selfish. But that's not the way that's the way the game is played. What the hell, Mike? Exactly. <laughs> they, they name streets after you one way. They're all over the place. You're the same. <laughs> yeah. So, well, funny, but you guys also have resources for that, too. Right. One of which I'm holding my hand right here. And Mike and I did a couple of episodes with them. Right. Oh, There's cool. tons of like the signs of a great resume. I went through this. Uh, with Scott Vetter, awesome guy. Love the fact that what he's doing and he's always willing to help out and lend an ear. In fact, last night I was looking through this book because my the guy I'm coaching right now, I was sitting here at like 9.45 last night reading through it and kind of going through his stuff and giving him some feedback and, and put my chop on, on his resume. So I sent it to him, I don't know, probably close to 10 o'clock last night. I was like, hey, man. I think I've got 95% of this done. I'm going to send it to you and tell me what you think. So, cause even, you know, for me, I look at that stuff uh, and I change it all the time. My LinkedIn profile, I change my headline. I change my about section. I go through and look at old resumes that I've had and think about how would I reword this? You always reword it all the time as you build and develop a new perspective on things. But you must have gotten past that, um, and I, it's not just military. It's like a, a, you would think sometimes when I'm talking to people about take that off your resume, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's like I've asked them to give up their firstborn child. I mean, you're so connected to what you've done, right? Um, and you kind of have to, it takes a while to, to give that up and figure out that it's relevant not interesting or not an accomplishment necessarily, but 
what's relevant to what you're doing and is it well translated because you guys can look at each other's resume and go oh my gosh I know what that means I know how impressive that is and it's just lost on the rest of us um, unfortunately so we we <laughs> resumes are tricky and they're hard and everybody has an opinion about it um, they're hard they are hard yeah. But I, I really like where we have evolved to, and that is um, we've kind of got this cycle now where, and Scott Vader, I have his book, it's right there, I see it. Um, we take all of that, those resources, we've kind of condensed it down to, okay, looks like nine out of 10 people say, and then we do the work and we do the one-on-one -on -one work, um, and then we send it to the coach and then we send it to a resume review board that is made up of current hiring um, recruiters and hiring managers. And then whatever feedback comes back from that, again, nine out of 10 people say, then we adjust our curriculum. And so we really, we're getting less and less feedback on those resumes, which tells me that we're doing a better, better job for that translated resume. Again, targeted and federal resume is a whole different ballgame. What are you laughing at? So I have a funny story because I had a cup of coffee with Ashley the day that we were interviewing Scott Vetter on our podcast. And of course, Ashley, Ashley is a strong uh, advocate of the chronological resume yes. and Scott's a functional resume. So it's, it is absolutely, you know, if you find 10 HR people, there's 20 different ways to do that resume, at least from those 10 people sitting in the room. So I'm having, the cup of coffee with Ashley and I think our, our podcast with Scott was probably in, in a couple hours and I was I was just like Ashley now I have to go to this interview and I have to completely flip the switch because you just told me that it shouldn't be functional it's got to be chronological and now I have to switch everything over because Scott helped me with my resume before and now I gotta switch over chronological for you and now I have to interview Scott who's a huge huge advocate of the functional resume I'm like damn it why did it have to be today? Ashley, you're killing me. And uh, yeah, we got through it. And <laughs> I don't even think resumes even came up. I don't, <laughs> I don't even remember. I don't remember what we talked about, but yeah, Scott's an awesome guy. And uh, like we said, there's, there's a, there's, you know, hundreds of ways of doing it. And there's definitely some distinct wrong ways of doing it. And yes. uh, to include your grammatical errors and putting in, you know, acronyms that, only Trevor and I know about, uh, you know, Scott uses a great example. If you can tell a fourth grader what that, if a fourth grader can read it and they can understand somewhat of what you're trying to say in there, that's probably a good metric to go by. Or just like, we've had some senior people and you know them that have misspelled like university or whatever, yeah. you know, that yeah. doesn't well, it's, go over it's, well. Yeah. And I think there's a certain, that's, that's a, that's a skill. I've seen some people write things and I'm like, Oh my God, dude. Like, you know, you don't necessarily always write a lot. Right. Um, if yeah. you know, maybe you could, you're really good at shooting guns and, and skydiving and stuff, but you know, you don't have to do a lot of writing. So another perishable yeah. skill. Yep. So I, I love writing. I write all the time. I, you know, it's kind of like this last year and a half I've been learning about like uh, writing copy and stuff or mm. um, 
But what does that do? It influences somebody, right? What are you trying to do with a resume? Well, first of all, you're trying to get past the screening software and, you know, get past the, the eight to 10 second look that an HR, that a hiring manager is going to give it before they either throw it in the trash or, or give it to the interview pile. But, you know, really you want to influence that person to want to learn more about you, right? How do you, how do you get somebody to do that? And, and so there is a skill, right? Hey, talk about that. And I like how Scott does it, right? What's the impact at which point numbers, dollars, cents? Yep. Uh, you know, I, I think that his book is awesome for people that are like, yeah, I need to, to practice this. At least get it started, get it 90 per, 80 to 90% of the way and then, and then get some help with it. But uh, yeah, I same thing, like you said, different people are going to have different things, right? If you're going for a corporate resume, two pages, right? If you're going for a federal job, then they're going to want a more in-depth six to eight, you know, your resume better start with call me Ishmael. Um, right. <laughs> so if you're not in tune with literature, that's the beginning of Moby Dick, yeah. but um, yeah, so it, it is, but that's, that's one of the big things that people always have questions about. Oh, you know, I got to do my resume and I look at it and they're like, Oh, supervised three guys doing stuff and I'm like who you know the best advice I had ever gotten was you know from writing evals and this this uh master chief a fellow West Virginian to me and Mike old double T Terrence Thomas said go through and read everything that you've written and then at the end of that after everything you've written say who cares right <laughs> what was the what what was the impact that you had with that? And I was like, Oh, that's a really good way of thinking about it. Or what would happen if you didn't do that? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we can get at it that way too. Um, we try to really focus in on the skill that you're using, you know, so that you can kind of use that anywhere, um, apply it to anything. We also talk about like not painting a, or be careful what picture you paint and don't, block yourself in like both of you have real estate have you yeah. have has anyone ever said that when you're selling res real estate to take out your personal photos so that the other person can envision themselves living there yeah okay i don't know how i've not looked at the psychological science of that but anyway um i have heard it several several times but it's kind of like that on a resume like focus more on having a frame, but not putting a picture in it, you know, like focus more on seeing the house, the skill, what you bring to the table and less of where you've done it so that they can fill in the blank for themselves at their own company kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they can see your value in that organization. Don't, yeah. Not just your value to that position, but your value to that company. Cause that's, I mean, we've said that before tons of times on here, Janie, I know you've heard it too. Um, so many guys that have gone to do interviews and they say, well, we don't really want you for this job, but we want you in our organization. So we're creating a job for you. Right. So that's, that's huge. <laughs> Cause you imagine that you go apply for a job doing this and they're like, well, we don't know. We're just going to create a job for you, man. That's got to boost the old confidence meter. Right. I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, and I know, you know, we, we, I don't know what else you have today, but uh, 
you know, I know we were kind of getting close on time, but I at least wanted to get in uh, some third phase stuff and then talk about like some of the things that you've, you've learned or any advice that you might have for anybody who's listening to this. I think just getting out there and doing it looks a little bit different than just the textbook stuff, right? So phase one's about you, um, reconnecting to you, your identity and all that stuff. Phase two is about building that toolkit with, you know, all the things, how to network, your resume, your LinkedIn, all the things we talked about. But phase three is actually getting out there and putting it into practice and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't, how, what comes across as authentic and what doesn't. Um, getting out there and seeing those companies and getting past that mission statement to what it feels like to be there. I think phase three is really putting everything into motion and I don't know, the internship, if you will, yeah. of the, you know, of the course study. Um, and that's think, where, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. I, I think, uh, I think one of the things that I really brought away from third phase was, I think it was the salary negotiation and the compensation and all that, because to me right now, that's more intimidating than buying a house or a car is trying to negotiate your worth in a, in a realm that you're completely unfamiliar with. You know, you feel like you, uh, once again, you don't know what you don't know. And then, you know, you all help walk us through a lot of that, you know, and really break it down that night and really help us understand on the corporate side of the table, what they're thinking, you know, what are the, what are the, what, what's up for negotiation? What isn't up for negotiation, you know, where your true value is. And then I think some folks, especially some of us in the military that are retiring, you know, we look at it as, okay, well, the, the military is paying me this much and the VA is maybe paying me this much. So I only need like this much. Well, in reality, your value to the company or that organization is a heck of a lot more than that. So you need to just completely divorce yourself almost from your, whatever is coming in monthly from anywhere else has absolutely nothing to do with what's next. Yes. And then under, understanding the playing field and where your strategy lies within there and negotiating from, from that point and, and not from, you know, not, don't make that mistake. Cause I've heard several cases of folks negotiating uh, compensation that's well below and, and even people on the other side, the HR side that I've talked to, and bringing up those types of examples where they just got a bargain, you know, that company just got a bargain for that type of talent that was brought in and knowing that they obviously are most likely negotiated based on, well, I'm already making X amount in pension and, you know, disability. So I only need this much or I'm only, you know, this gets me to my, my goal where, you know, you have to really be educated, really do the research, really understand your value. You do. Um, even though THF tries to get out in front and um, really educate local businesses and, and other about what kind of talent they're getting, how those skills translate, it's all about risk mitigation, right? And so if you have a company that does not understand the talent and they think that they're taking on a lot of risk, then that affects the negotiation. If you don't know your own personal worth, that affects the negotiation, just like you're saying. And then, um, you know, some companies don't, they have no idea what they're getting. And so to be able to, to articulate that yourself 
and let us get out and network and get ahead of the game um, kind of comes together for best case scenario, I guess. And I think sometimes too, we as service members tend to look at these types of negotiations as long-term contracts, like enlistments, like a four-year or a six-year or an obligated service to pay back something like an education from the academy or ROTC or whatever it may be. It's not. Turnover happens a lot, especially in the much bigger organizations and things like it's a constant churn of talent going out the, you know, leaving and coming in and leaving and coming in. And we need to understand that you're not negotiating a four-year enlistment. You're, you're, you're negotiating a job offer. And if it doesn't work out and you're not a fit, once you get in there and actually start, you know, sinking your hands into what it's all about, it's okay to give a two week notice and, and go find something else or to pursue other things and other, you know, take a pivot and go to other avenues and not feel guilty about it, not feel like you're a freaking sellout. I am glad you said that. Um, THF is all about trying to find that fulfillment, right? And it may take a pivot or two to get it right. And that is okay. Um, you just kind of, sometimes you have to get in there and get it going, right? To really figure out what fulfills you. And that, that is okay. You mentioned that statistic a while ago. It's nine months is the average of that first job. Wow. Yeah. So uh, with that, something else, another perspective too, is um, a lot of times you might take a job where maybe you're not making what you would would dream about making right off the bat. But I've talked to several people who are like, man, I got two or three promotions within my first year there. Right. So it's just because you come in low doesn't mean that there's not room for upward mobility, but that I would say, you know, that's kind of part of that is saying, Hey, you know, maybe whatever is starting salary this, but I would like to know, like, what's, what are the opportunities for upward mobility there? Right. Cause don't yeah. think about just right here and now what's, what's in it in the future for me. So. Again, it's back to that risk mitigation and maybe a company is willing to take some risk. You know, it, it's okay to talk about a plan. Um, you know, maybe you don't, once I get in and you see my skill set, let's talk about a track for getting me here. Um, because they're going to start out maybe a little lower to get you in and, and to do that risk assessment. Because that's the what other, I'm going to do. Yeah. The other thing is too, like the funny conversation I had with, with Dirk when he, he and I, because we went through D school together and we were talking quite a bit, especially through the Honor Foundation, is you know, we spend a lot of time in these leadership positions where it's almost a 24 seven job. And some days you get in there at seven and you may not leave again until seven or, and then you may be on the weekend and you may, you're putting in, you know, you're putting in these hours and hours and hours because you're so dedicated to the purpose of the organization that we grew up in and, you know, fought so hard to be a part of. And it's like, you know, the conversations with Dirk, I'm like, man, if you were to go anywhere and just do a good job, what you consider in your mind to be a good job for you, not a great job, just a good job. And you go in there and you do it from eight to four or eight to five or whatever that is. I, I can, I cannot even imagine what the leadership of that organization is going to think. They're going to think you're killing it and that you're the most dedicated employee they've likely ever seen. 
because we put our litmus test because we're a highly competitive group. We've put our litmus test is, is against every one of us. And, you know, we've all succeeded in, in the, in those organizations and that, in that culture. And then you kind of, kind of dial it back in and go, okay, this is, this is my position description and this is all they're asking me to do. And I don't have to come in on the weekends and they're perfectly happy if I leave at four o'clock, you know, feel like Fred Flintstone jumping off, off the dinosaur and sliding down his neck or the tail. I can't remember. And off into his, you know, pedal powered car and, and on the, you know, on the sea, uh, you know, I can't even remember it. Wilma. No, Betty, I can't. I'm well, terrible. I always wanted to do that, though. Um, That's why I'm still hopeful that one day we'll able, be able to bring dinosaurs back. Damn it, Avenue. Well, okay, great. I, I always, it's funny. This is where I turn into a goofball because I love like movie quotes and stuff. And like what Mike's saying there, right? There's a, a line in, uh, what is it, Kill Bill volume, volume Two, where they're talking about Hitaro. Hanzo, Hitari Hanzo swords, where he says, when you compare a Hitari Hanzo sword, you compare it to every other sword ever made that wasn't made by him, right? Because that's that's kind of a, a standard, right? When you're when you have these standards and and it's something that I think in in our communities we do a really good job of because there's a lot of people that get kicked out of those communities, right? It's not just about satisfying the minimum requirement to get in there to get to get on the ground level it's about having to prove yourself and reprove yourself all the time and eventually you just get to the point where that's a part of your personality um it's it's kind of ingrained into you and you bring up another point and we do have mentors you know once you land that place sometimes it's tough to navigate i mean i've heard jimmy hatch talks about it really well mm-hmm. but you know, like, what do you mean? It's five o'clock and everybody's going home. We're not done. <laughs> you know, it's that mindset that you're talking about. What, what, okay, this is getting a little hard, but we're not quitting. Or what, what do you mean we have a nine o'clock meeting and you're showing up at nine o'clock? You're late, you know, those little things um, that I'm learning about. But those are equally sometimes, um, those little pet peeves are equally hard to navigate. And so we try to set up mentors and have mentors available to kind of talk through like, how do you navigate that? How do you not let that absolutely get on your nerves? How do yeah. you be okay leaving at four o'clock? And- how, do, how do you go from the only easy day was yesterday to the only easy day was, uh, you know, Friday, casual Friday, <laughs> right? So yeah. <laughs> Yes. No, well, that's that's a big thing too. I think that that you guys do a lot of right because when I was when I was new to the fleet, I went to my ship and I had my people there to help me walk me through it. When I was a new EOD tech, I had Mike and Taylor, right, my my chief, my LPO, and and the other team leaders there to kind of help walk us through becoming that, and then. You know, we talk about this all the time too. The, the tables turn, right? When Mike was getting ready to retire, it, it was me. Like we're sitting there drinking beers, watching Mountaineer games, listening to me scream obscenities at the TV with a table full of kids next to us at Buffalo Wild Wings. And I'd be like, yeah, you're just, you know, you need to do this and then scream something and look <laughs> at the table and be like, oh, my bad. But uh, I was, you know, it's, it's there constantly. And I think that's another, it's something that we're used to and, and you guys do a really good job of helping out with. 
Well, even dress, you said it. I mean, we even have to do a, these are, I got a job socks and these are, I need a job socks, you know? So not everybody needs that, but if you do, we got it. So I know my, uh, I got, I have, I work for myself Crocs. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Man, that was seamless. Show me your Crocs, Trevor. You tried to show me a while ago. Yeah, oh no i got these bad it's great because my wife hates crocs she always wears them when she takes the dogs out but i always look for the most uh ridiculous pair so i found these uh woodland whatever grass real tree pattern and i was like oh that's my new pair <laughs> he didn't fall for it mike he tried to show it to me on his foot when we first started talking and that didn't go over really well that's what i was trying to do <laughs> Yeah. Nice. One other thing I want to talk about real quick too, was, uh, you know, what's the process for people getting into the honor foundation? Very simple. Um, go to honor.org slash apply, um, and fill out the application. Our sweet spot is 12 to 18 months out. Um, that way going through and, and really getting clarity, Several things can happen. You could decide to stay in, or you could decide you need an extra cert or an internship or all the things, and you still have time to do that. So that's our sweet spot. Um, it's kind of time intensive, so kind of be aware of that and, and have it at the right spot for you. Um, it's two nights a week, uh, five to nine, and a little bit of homework, right, Mike? A little bit, a little bit. And meeting with your coach and... Um, two letters of recommendation, a resume and an interview. And there you go. Yeah. And who's eligible to apply? Cause I know you guys have limited resources. Um, I know it's a lot smaller funding is an issue for you guys too. So it is um, operators are prioritized and then enablers who are currently at an NSW I'm speaking for Virginia beach um, right now, um, but enablers that are, currently at an NSW command are prioritized. And then um, operators that have already retired can go through. Awesome. Across well, the board, um, probably similar, but just substitute um, whatever NSW would be equivalent for Army, Air Force and Marines. And so you guys, I know you have the, the San Diego campus, you have the Virginia Beach campus. There's the one down in Lejeune. You guys are getting ready to open one down by Fort Bragg, right? Yes. Um, we're excited about that. So we'll serve um, both Army and Air Force there at Fort Bragg. And then is there a fifth campus? I couldn't remember. I thought there was. Virtual. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. They are always online and they're serving those that are not near a physical campus. And that's, it's funny because that's the one I'm coaching in right now. I can't believe I forgot about it. <laughs> so. Well, I've been trying to get them to talk about summer sessions. Summer sessions are online. They're not necessarily campus specific. Mm -hmm. so, so the virtual campus will always be virtual, but summer, which is what you're coaching right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. You know, I, I mean, I know talking to you, you're always really busy. I know there's a ton of work going into that. And, you know, one of the big things, because you guys are a nonprofit, so, you know, you're funded through donations. 
Um, and, you know, I would say this on here, highly encourage people uh, that have the ability to, to reach out. And if you're looking for an awesome nonprofit, are you guys on the combined federal campaign yet? I don't know about that one. I know the, um, oh shoot, the, I'm going to get in trouble for not remembering what we just finally got. <gasps> Can you edit this part? <laughs> yeah. I think we're on that part that the one that you mentioned yet the confined federal campaign i know that's i mean i definitely think that's one that you guys would be a great fit for but um yeah if if you if you're listening to this and you have the chance you can go to honor.org i know there's the ability to make um donations on there and you guys also work with some other nonprofits, right i mean i think uh you got your initial funding through the navy seal foundation the marine raider foundation uh, the Army Special Forces. Uh, Wounded Warriors. A big yep. Wounded Warrior. So. Foundation, yes. Um, and then just learning that whole nonprofit thing was new to me. I mean, there's so many, um, there's so many pieces just at being a nonprofit and sharing our statistics and being able to measure and prove, you know, exactly that we do what we say we're going to do and the outcomes and all those and, things. And, you know, that's a big one. Uh, people don't understand that running a nonprofit is, is the exactly the same thing as running a business. It's just how do you get your revenue, right? How do you pay the yeah. bills? Um, you know, talking, I'll just throw one, one little quick thing in here too. Like when I talk to people that are having cups of coffee and stuff, a lot of them, John McCaskill was one of them. He's like, ah, you know, I thought I'll go out and start my own nonprofit. And then immediately, people that say that go out and they start saying, why nonprofit, why nonprofit? And it amazes me how many people are stumped when they're like, what do you mean? Why nonprofit? It's a nonprofit, <laughs> right? Well, there's what is 65,000 uh, nonprofits that benefit veterans out there. And, um, you know, so I, I always tell people like, look, if, make sure that what you're trying to do isn't already out there because there's already tons of them and you're going to compete with them. I remember Brage talking about that on her episode where she wanted to become a marine biologist and study great white sharks. And I was like, you know what? That was exactly what I wanted to do with it when I was a kid. And she said, hey, well, I went and talked to this guy who's like a world-class researcher on great white sharks. And he's like, yeah, but you're going to go out and then you're going to compete against me for grants. I've already done tons of studies. I've had lots of my work published. Like, you know, it's <laughs> it, there's somebody already out there doing what they want to do. Um, but maybe it's it's more worthwhile for your time and, and everything to go out and volunteer with organizations like the Honor Foundation. Two things on that. One is that um, I've often heard that, you know, nonprofit is kind of a, a tax distinction. You shouldn't run your business any different, right? Yeah. And that was a hard one to understand because when you're working with other nonprofits, you're competing for the same grants, the same donor dollars. They're your competitors, even though you're both in a helping space where what you want to do is help individuals and, and groups of people, right? So that's sometimes hard to navigate. And then, um, we do. Uh, our volunteer tribes, you're part of it, Trevor. Hopefully, Mike, you'll join it when you're ready. But we are supported by such huge volunteer tribes. So we talk about time, talent, treasure. Um, the treasure, you know, can be donations, but 
we have volunteers. We have, I'm sorry, we have coaches, we have mentors, we have resume review board reviewers, we have mock interviewers, we have LinkedIn reviewers. Um, and some of our instructors even give up their time and talent for us. So lots to do. If anybody's interested, reach out. We'd love, love to help. <laughs> when you were talking about competing, I mean, I don't know why I just had that, this vision in my head of like all the nonprofits, like on Anchorman, when all the news teams had the, the duel to, <laughs> it made me think about that, like the honor foundation and elite meet and nothing to the maybe, face, nothing to the face. Got, yeah, <laughs> of course, no touching the hair, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would be our favorite Will. Yeah. Will is our famous hair guy. Well, Janie, we really appreciate you coming on here and talking about this. This is an episode that I, when we started talking about doing this podcast that I absolutely wanted to do. And I'm so glad that you were able to come on here and talk about it and and share the info with us. Thank you for letting me. The Honor Foundation is doing some awesome stuff and I'm very privileged to be a part of it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's great to see you. I'm really proud to be a THF alum and I definitely look forward to giving back in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. Yeah. I want to make a cheesy tagline here. (laughs) Let THF help you get to vet. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the get to vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet. <laughs>